Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. All right. Well, glad you guys are here this morning. Um, Excited to share the word with you this morning. We're going to do a study, a quick study of Joseph and his life uh, in Genesis. We've seen, uh, you know, in the scripture. How many of you are walking through the scripture this year, by the way? Awesome. Awesome. Not too late to get on that train. And we'll talk about some of those, some of those reasons and benefits later in the message. But we've just kind of walked through Joseph in, in uh, Genesis. And I want to look at his life. But first, I want to look at something a little more modern. See what I did there? Notre Dame. Okay, you know, medieval history. But Notre Dame. This is one of human existence's greatest architectural and artistic achievements. A singular and magnificent example of medieval architecture. For example, Westminster Abbey in London has a maximum capacity of 2,000 people. Did you know that Notre Dame can accommodate 9,000 worshipers at once? A little bit of a different scale. The idea for Notre Dame came in 1160 by the Bishop of Paris, a guy named Maurice de Sully. Lots going on in this architecture and this magnificent structure. We don't have time to talk about a lot of it, but I want to give you a few little aspects. Those two bell towers on the left hold 10 massive bells. Nine of them were melted down during the French Revolution to make cannons. The one that wasn't melted down was the biggest. Actually, it was cast in 1683. At its base, it's more than eight feet across. The thickness of this bell is almost nine inches. It weighs 26,000 pounds. The next time you see a Suburban on Main Street, add four to it. This is a massive, massive bell. And it was named by its patron, Louis XIV, the Emmanuel Bell. These, you see these flying buttresses on the outside. It's fantastic. Those things hold it together so that inside it rises more than 100 feet straight up. And I didn't put an image of the inside, but I do want to share with you these, it, these walls, these 100-foot walls, contain 32, more than 32,000 square feet of stained glass. That's the floor space of Westminster Abbey, by the way. 32,000 square feet of stained glass. This is the, there are three big rose windows. And this is the one facing south. You can also see here facing right the river's part. Of, it sits on an island. But that's the big south rose window. This is an image of it from the inside. And just so you have some perspective here, that that window measures 42 feet across. That's the difference in that little piece of blue tape and that little piece of blue tape on this side of the stage. Does that... You were wondering why the blue tape was there. How many of you saw the blue tape? Wait a minute, I need to get those names. <laughs> That's good. Can you imagine, does that give you a little bit of the idea of the scale? Here's the, here's the building, <laughs> and, and that's the size of that window. 
I mean, just a magnificent structure. Took almost 200 years to build Notre Dame. Almost 200 years. And we should just point out that not a single person who was cutting and laying stones in 1163 was around to see its completion in 1345. Okay, I don't know what's settling upon you right now. But I I, I want to say this. I mean, Notre Dame may never have been. I mean, we might even say that Notre Dame does not exist unless or until some lonely, restless heart stirs. Are you with me? Until, until some courageous soul imagines what could be. There were two basilicas sitting on this site already. They demolished them. Until someone says to themselves, you know, something could be different. Something could change. Something may exist that doesn't yet. That's hope. That's faith. That's vision. And it's not just for physical structures, is it? I mean, what's for dinner tonight? There's a, there's a lot here. What, what are your relationships like? What's the trajectory of your career, your life, a project? Something God's put in your heart to do. It's something to consider, isn't it? But this message is not about Notre Dame. That does share some principle with us that we're going to look at. Because Joseph had an extraordinary life. He's part of the whole journey of the nation of Israel. Jacob was his father. We're going to look at some things this morning that I've just pulled out of these stories of Joseph that I hope and I believe can help us plan, think, imagine have faith, make adjustments, begin to believe in our hearts through faith in our Lord and the power of His Spirit that, that something might be different, something could be different. Are you with me? Okay, you're on the hook? <laughs> All right. So we're going to read part of this story, but I want to begin with one of these points, and then we'll jump in in just a moment. I have good news and bad news. In fact, in, in, in Joseph's life, we're going to look at something in a moment that, see, that shows us kind of a trajectory, a whole, a long timeline of his life. And as we look at events, and also in, in, the, in the course of history, in the course of God's leading in the nation of Israel... We're going to see things that are really good and see things also that are really bad. But when you look at it as a whole, you might say this. Great blessings have the potential to become great struggles. And great struggles have the potential to become great blessings. 
And we're going to prove this by looking at this little timeline here. And, and, and please, let's lay our lives over these stories in Scripture because they're, they're there for a reason. It doesn't always go perfectly. It doesn't always go as we imagine. And when we look at our life, we can at least say that. It doesn't always go perfectly. It doesn't always go as we imagine. C.S. Lewis, in a little book called The Problem of Pain, said this, that, that if, and I'm going to paraphrase this, if God's ways are higher than our ways, and don't read along, okay, come back to me. <laughs> if God's ways are higher than our ways, okay, let's think about that for a moment, then we have to understand that sometimes things I think are good, God may not think are good. Sometimes things I think are bad, God may not think they're bad. And it works both ways. If, and think about it. If his ways are higher than ours, would you confess that? Because a lot of times we put ourselves in God's place and say, no, I know that's good. You hearing me? Or no, I, I, I know that is bad. Okay, now we'll go back to the timeline. No, I'm going to save the timeline because we're going to read a little bit from this story. You're reading ahead. You're reading ahead. Uh, there are Bibles in the pews. Wow. In the, behind the seats. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> there are Bibles. So you can grab one. You have the same version as me. Uh, it's the ESV. And so we can rack, track along if you want to do this. Please grab one and turn to Exodus. I mean, I'm sorry, Genesis. I believe it's 39. Yeah, turn to chapter 39 in Genesis. Somebody shout out a page if you want. That'll be fun. 33? Okay, the beginning of 39 is on page 33. Thank you. All right, we're going to read a little bit of this. Uh, this is just one little event in the story of Joseph, but we'll connect it to the greater timeline here in just a moment. So, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read six verses here, or part, part of the sixth. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight. And attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, the guard, right? Potiphar. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Dinner time. He, he, he had no concern. Now, this sounds like a pretty great blessing, doesn't it? But do you know how Joseph got there? Yes, you do. So the first part of this, we're going to start at the first part of these little hills and valleys here. Joseph is born into blessing. 
If we back up to his birth, he was born to Jacob in Jacob's old age, and Jacob favored him. Jacob, his father, loved him. Joseph was the golden child, right? Now, what does that do to the other kids? Yes. Yes. When he was 17, he's feeling strong. He goes and he starts telling his brothers about all the dreams he's had. And the dreams weren't very good. In fact, he said, you all will bow down to me. How about that? You want to deliver that dream to your spouse, husband, wife, children, father? That's siblings, thank you. And they do, don't they? They do. Oh my goodness. So, what do they do? They conspired against him. And you go down to the first valley. They sold Joseph into slavery. His brothers sold him into slavery. Now go back to the good news and bad news for just a moment in your mind. That's really bad news. The first part is really good news. But these things over time, this is a very long timeline. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to look at my life. I believe it is hard for us to look at our lives from a greater perspective. Remember that we are looking at time in this finite capacity. But yet the infinite made time. He sees the beginning and the end. He has these capacities. Remember, his ways are higher than ours. He has these capacities we do not. So we look at this point in time, or we look at the outcome of this event, or we're looking at the underside of a tapestry that's being woven by a mighty God who sees all, who knows all, who is all-powerful. I hope that gives you encouragement this morning. So let's go back to... Potiphar, he finds favor. He goes down to Egypt. His brothers sell him into slavery. He goes down there, and he finds favor in Potiphar's house. Now, he could have become bitter. We're going to look at that a little bit more in this story. The two stars up here are connected. The two stars on the timeline are are really connected. And that's what I want to connect this morning. But don't miss these little points, please. So he could have gone to Potiphar's house and said, you know what, I'm done. This, this just sucks, and it did. My family doesn't want me. My biological family does not want me. I'd be willing to bet that at one point or another, everyone in this room has felt like that about at least one person in your family. But he goes to Potiphar's house. Potiphar, why do you think Potiphar put him in charge of everything? He saw something in Joseph's life. Joseph was doing something to make Potiphar trust him. He was stewarding things. You remember the parable of the talents? We're not going to cover it today, but that's a good little insert. The parable of the talents, I believe, is coming true in your life and mine. In every single area of our lives, in one way or another. And, and here's the bottom line. What we steward well will be added to. What we don't steward well, even what we have will be taken from us. Think about the things in our lives that require maintenance. 
And that goes way beyond physical things. But a physical thing is a good place to start. The things in our lives require maintenance. And when we steward them well, more is added. So Potiphar recognizes something in Joseph. There's a faithfulness, faithfulness there at this second peak that the, where the valley somehow did not squish it out. You ever felt like that? I'm done. So, goes to Potiphar's house, stewards these things well. Joseph is doing the right things. Joseph is stewarding well. He's, he's even resisting. By the way, Potiphar's wife comes to him and says, Hey, I got some extra time. That's right. Potiphar's wife makes advances to Joseph. And Joseph still does the right thing. No. He runs. He has no reason to run. His life's been ruined. Or does he? He flees this situation. He does the right thing. God is with him. We just read it. God is with him and he did the right thing. And look at the next valley. So the simple part of the story is Potiphar's wife lies about Joseph. In fact, Potiphar's wife, Joseph doesn't respond to her advances, so she says, he came on to me. Look, here's his garment. Somebody do something. He's doing the right things. God is with him. Did it work? How'd it work out? You would hope, you would hope that's going to go well. But you know from life, it may or it may not. I, I, we don't know. But he's being faithful. He's thrown into prison. All right, this is the second time. All right, now I'm done. I mean, now I'm done. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm I'm in prison. My my family sells me. Now I'm in prison. But what does he do in prison? He still begins to serve, use his gifts, give. These two guys come in that Pharaoh put in jail, cupbearer and baker. Joseph begins a relationship with them, ministers to them, finds out about them. And then they share some dreams with him, and he gives them an interpretation. One doesn't work out so well, by the way. It's not the point of this message, but nonetheless, Joseph is still serving there in prison, still doing the right thing. All right? So does he get out of prison? Not then. Not then. These two guys get out, and he says, hey, Hey, great to, great to know you. Um, glad we could spend some time together. God bless you. Remember, remember me when you get out of prison. They didn't remember him. They get out of prison. He's in there two more years. Finally, finally, Pharaoh has some dreams. Pharaoh has some dreams. And that cupbearer goes, wait a second. I remember a guy in prison. He, he could interpret your dreams. Pharaoh is asking, you know, who can, who can interpret these crazy dreams? So he calls Joseph out of prison. Joseph comes and interprets the dreams. And we're going to read that little section of Scripture. Do you have your Bible? Turn over a couple of pages to 41. We're going to start somewhere in the middle there. Verse 29. Okay, 
Chapter 41, verse 29 through 42. Let's read this. Pharaoh has these crazy dreams. These cows come out of the Nile and eat the reed. The first set of cows eats the reeds on, on the side of the Nile. And the second set of cows comes and eats the cows eating the reeds. Very strange dream. The next dream is these, corn, these ears of corn grow up. And they look great. They're beautiful. But then another set of corn, ears of corn grow up, and somehow they consume the first ears of corn that look wonderful, and the others are decaying. And that's where we'll pick it up. He interprets the dream and tells him what the dream is. The dream is basically this seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so watch what happens here. Let's look at verse 29. There will come seven years of great plenty, he tells the Pharaoh, throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the, things, that, that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. I think you can turn this down. I can hear a little ring. Just a wee bit. And God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, Joseph tells him, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish throughout the famine, through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to the servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in the second chariot. Wow. How about that? What incredible blessing. What incredible blessing, right? Now, Joseph has this incredible, incredible capacity to interpret dreams. I've heard of that in the church today. It's cool. There are a few uh, in, this, in this sanctuary right now. And that can be kind of scary. You share a dream with someone. You're like, wow, what does this mean? But let's, I mean, pray. I mean, sometimes dreams, dreams mean, nothing, mean nothing. But sometimes they mean something significant. And so I would encourage you and, you, and you probably all had an experience like this or maybe someone around you that says, I had a weird dream last night. Boy, you lean in on that, don't you? <laughs> You're like, wait, what does that mean? But there are also some kind of practical capacities that Joseph has. And so I want to look at this kind of as a question, natural or supernatural? 
natural or supernatural? When, when we look at our lives, sometimes you, you do realize that God has acted supernaturally in a way that, that you felt was very natural, didn't you? It may be direction, it may be counsel, it may be insight, it may be discernment. It may be circumstances that guide us. Circumstances that guide us. Steve said in a message last week or a couple weeks ago that, that we, we have to connect sometimes our sin and our, and our, how did you put it? I can't remember exactly, but I think it's the idea that, that sometimes our spiritual life and our physical life are connected. Sometimes they're very connected. And, and we moderns, we, we've left that out. We don't think about that too much. Uh, this or that must be an attack of the enemy. Well, if we look at Joseph's timeline, you know, he, he could have wrongly said that a number of times. But natural or supernatural may not be the best way to put this. Let's think of it this way. What about natural and supernatural? Do you know what I'm saying? Because Joseph had this capacity of oversight. He had this capacity, maybe, of management. Who can tell me what gift that might be? Administration. What else? Leadership. I mean, he's telling Pharaoh, hey, here's what you need to do, man. I I see some holes in your system here. And he tells him, by the way, to... To prepare as the, big, as the big time of plenty is coming, he tells him, keep back one-fifth of all that you receive, of all the produce, of all the crop. So he has something within him that, that seems like a natural thing, but it's being used very su- supernaturally. But, but by the way, part of this, his father's Jacob, Jacob's father's Isaac, Isaac's father's Abraham, the Abrahamic blessing is passed down to him and to us. And so, here's something that's interesting to see. When, when the Israelites go into Egypt, it, and we're going to get there in just a moment, it, it's going to be a good thing. But it became a, a difficult, it became an enormous struggle. It became this incredible struggle of slavery. But there's something, there's something about this whole process that we have to realize These are the seeds of God blessing the nation of Israel. Joseph. Now it's a promise of God. But Joseph is a link in the chain. You and I are a link in the chain. You want something great for the future? Let God speak to us. What are we to do with this? All right, let's look back at this little timeline. So now, Pharaoh puts him in charge of everything. He's second in command. Hey, you can't sit on my throne, but you can ride in the second chariot. All of my people, Pharaoh says, will order themselves by your command. Whoa! I mean, what a touch, and that's not just an accident. As we said earlier in Potiphar's house, Joseph is doing something, stewarding something that God is touching. So, now he's in charge of all of Egypt. But the famine comes. Israel's over here, they're a long way away. The famine comes, 
And this is where the two points on the timeline connect. Israel, which is only about 70, 75 people at the moment, they're starving. And what what does Jacob do but say to his brothers who sold him into slavery 20 years earlier, and he doesn't know this, nobody, they don't know this, hey, I hear it's pretty good in Egypt. They saved for seven years. Go to Egypt. I want all your brothers to go to Egypt and ask if we can buy some food. Okay, here they go. But who's in charge of everything? They didn't know this, and they didn't recognize him. But hey, they go before this magistrate, this guy in charge, and it's Joseph. And Joseph recognizes his brothers that sold him in slavery. Now, what would you do? Your laughter reveals it. Now, he did a little bit. He spoke roughly to them. He toyed with them. He messed with their minds. He tells them, he's like, where's Benjamin? Where's my little brother? Go back and get that. How many you know, ask them all about their family? Well, anyway, he sends them on these journeys. Go back, do this, do this. We'll, fight, we'll give you some food. They come back. They bring money. They bring silver. They bring something. Shekels. They can, they can buy food. But Joseph, after he messes with them a little bit, he tells the people who serve him, hey, fill their bags with food. But then come here. Take the money that they brought, put it back in their bags. They sold him into slavery. But no, take the money they they brought, put it back in their bags. They're not going to pay for a thing. The brothers go. They're shocked to find this money. There must be some mistake. They come back again. They bring more money. Joseph does the same thing. So at this low point, this point of revenge, this point of restitution, he didn't have to sell him any food. He could smash him out, put him in jail, find something against him. But he has this grace. He's still serving. He's still stewarding. He's still acting in a way that glorifies is God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we know now. Okay. So that brings us to this word. Write these down. Agency. Agency. Maybe you've never thought about our faith with this one word, but I believe it is so important. Because you and I somehow, in God's wonder, have been given the capacity to appropriate His power through faith. Do you see that? You and I have been given somehow by God's plan and goodness and mystery, you and I have been given the capacity to appropriate His power through faith. Oh boy. Now, could that change things? Could that change a trajectory? Could that change a project? A relationship? 
dinner tonight. (laughs) We have agency. That's what God has invited us into. He's not removed from us. And so I hope that you get that one word and maybe spend some time meditating on it at a later time. The important thing here is God did not only create us in his image. There's something we need to add to that. God commissioned us in his image. God didn't just create us in his image. He did. But it doesn't end there. Those faculties, those capacities, those gifts and strengths, God created us and commissions us in his image. What does he do? He reconciles. He reaches. He goes. He loves. He brings power. He changes things. Oh, boy. So, church, remember your agency. Amen? Okay? Kind of a weird way to describe that, but sometimes we have to think differently to see a simple truth right in front of us. So, in all of these times, I believe, Joseph, there's a lot of lessons. And go back and read the story if you want. Maybe that's a good idea. But to see where Joseph's actions natural and supernatural, are participating in his divine nature and somehow becoming agency of God, an agent of God. Does that make sense? And so I hope, how many of you have had a life that's just like this, a straight line? No one. And guess what? All these hills and valleys are coming in the future. We know that. They're coming. But we want to see our lives from a a different perspective, a broader perspective. And something I want to point out just in all of these things here, Joseph is an influence in Potiphar's house. He's an influence in his own house. He's an influence in the kingdom uh, of Egypt. And so where where are you and I in the course of life? What, What are our communities? Is it with those in royal power or is it with the downcast, the outcast, the prisoner? Or are there undulations that reach toward both of those extremes? When we're with other people, that influence of the Spirit of God planted in us and that agency is so important. This is kind of an aside. I just noticed this during worship. This is is not, well, it is part of the message now. When you go home, or when you go to your workplace, or when you meet someone new, or when you see an old friend, or when you go back and visit family, when you come to a meeting, wherever you go. Do you remember that agency? I don't. But entering somewhere can be a tiny little reminder of that, can it? Now I'm going somewhere. Now I'm going to do something. And this may be a physical thing, but I guarantee you, you you should try it. When I go to my office, when I go with these people, my family, et cetera, et cetera, 
You know, every day is not a great day. Every day is not a great day. But the word says give thanks in all things. Be joyful always. So I'm going to get to something here. And I'm not talking about contriving some silly, you know, bubblegum joy that, that nobody, you know, like, oh, please, don't come anymore. I'm talking about an expectation and an excitement that actually starts here. And I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But go look in the mirror before you go to other people later tonight, tomorrow morning. Just look in the mirror and see if you want this guy to show up. Are you with me? Your face, I think, reflects certainly our words. And I'm not talking about some, again, silly joy, but just... I'm excited to see you. I'm glad I'm home. I'm going to be an agent in my office today. Can you remember this? It has something to do with faith. All right. How much time? Oh, we're going to end early today. Well, we're going to try. So, um, you know, this is, just, this is just reading the word and slowing down. And we're going to have to connect our lives to God's teaching. His word is his truth. His spirit leads us into all truth and reminds us of his truth. So I want to encourage you, church, slow down. Read the word, pass over it. I tell my kids, and they know this, read for understanding. Now that's a simple, another simple little phrase. But I, I've tried to explain to them what I've learned over the years because when I was in school, high school for sure, I could read an entire book and think about something else. Does anyone else have that supernatural capacity? <laughs> Thank you. I don't know how that... Ha- I can do it today. But I notice it when I do it today. And, and I don't know what that is. How is... I'm reading the words. I'm reading every line, every sentence. But I'm... Man, I am... I don't know how I do that. Or you. Let's all get together after church. Those are right here. But slow down. Ask God. Ask the Spirit to give us wisdom and insight into His Word. Uh, that is such an important part of being with him. Uh, those of you, some reading through the scripture, other kind of, others kind of find a book or something to go through. We want to encourage you, if you don't have a way to read through scripture, join us uh, on, on any one of these daily uh, uh, Bible reading apps. The one we use most is Daily Audio Bible, and it just it's spoken for you, but you can also read it within the app. Um, but find a way, find a way. And I promise you this habit, it, it seems impossible at first. Like how in the world do I have that time to read the whole Bible in a year or read the word every day? But there is some mysterious thing that God may do or will do. And it doesn't happen every day. If, if I were quicker, it would, but it doesn't happen every day. But sometimes 
there's something in that word, there's something in that story from the Old Testament or a miracle scene that Jesus did or, or a proverb, a proverb. Church, are you with me? Let's hunger and thirst for the word and, and expose ourselves to that and let God speak to us in that. So, so critical. Um, the last thing I want to look at here is valuing others. Joseph valued others when really I wouldn't have wanted to. They're, they're valuing others. God says, what do he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a reason he said that. You don't have any problem loving yourself. I don't either. You're going to think about every need you have. You're going to think about the craziest things. You're going to plan in the future so you can experience one little thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's one thing that stands in the way of that. The self. <laughs> it's selfishness. That stands in the way because that will occupy every bit of my time if I allow it. I will not sacrifice. I will not serve. Don't use these as sound bites. <laughs> That's weird. You know what I'm saying? That's the part of, of our flesh that stands in the way of the blessing of God between us and our fellow man, fellow woman, our brother or sister, this, this community, that community. Are you with me? Oh, we have to fight for that. Who taught you to value others? I'll tell you who taught me. When I was a kid, when I was little, seven years old, at my grandfather's house in the country of Alabama, it might be Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, but I can tell you there was something that happened. I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't have described it then. But here's how it went. There are three to six people on the back porch, maybe. And a car is coming down the country road, and it starts to slow down. And it turns in the long driveway. And two, three, four people in the room... The chins go up. <laughs> Who is that? Oh. And they get closer. Drive all the way up. They open the door. They get out. I remember my grandfather, mostly others too, but standing up and going to the door. They didn't come in the door and open it themselves. Boom. Hey, out on the porch. Come on in. And their hugs and pats on the backs, and greetings and handshakes. There's a ceremony happening. There's a ceremony which we've forgotten. We've forgotten. We don't do that. We do in my house. I tell my kids, they used to hate it. I say, when, when a friend comes to the door, a stranger, you stand up. You stand up and you move toward them. You move toward them. They're like, what does that matter? What? I'm from the past, Lee. What does that matter? Well, now they know it. And it's just this blessing. This blessing. I don't know how many teenagers were in our house last night. I didn't know some of them. I had to introduce myself. It was weird. Um, for X Games, and Lewis comes home with a bunch of friends from, friends from college. Gracie's got friends in the house. But I can see it happening. I don't say anything. I'm like, wow, 
That only took 15 years. <laughs> right. But who taught you to value others? She's not going to want me to point her out. But Mady's taught me some things. Dang it. Move toward those. Be an agent of God. Are you with me, church? Because on the receiving side of that, maybe you've forgotten how that feels. Well, go remind yourself. Be that agent and watch what God does. Okay. Man, amen, Lord. Come on back up, worship team. I was going to try to finish five minutes earlier. Thanks, brother. Well, let's, um, let's dive in here and respond and worship and, and respond with action, respond with faith and hope. Church, that something can be different. You understand? You are agents of God. Something can be different. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your blessing. Thank you, God, for your power and glory. And thank you that you are a creative God. Lord, forgive us when we just forget that creativity and we create the, we forget the agency you've given us in your spirit and in your call to have fellowship with you through Christ our Lord. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, and Lord, teach us, teach us these things of your truth that we might pursue you, that we might love those around us. We might, Lord, learn to influence our our homes, our workplaces. Lord, teach us to hope for and expect that your power and love and grace might come in a moment's time. But Lord, we want to be people of faith. And so Lord, strengthen us for your service. Strengthen us for your glory, O oh God. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, church. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.